Welcome to the Refuge Weekly Podcast. We are a church in and for the city of Orange in Southern California. The heart of Refuge OC is to introduce and reintroduce people to a clearer vision of God. To learn more about us and how you can get involved, please visit us at refugeoc.com. And now, here is our latest message. All right, are you ready? Hey, I want to give a little bit of a preface, if I can, before I go on stage. Is There's a temptation in church land. Um, This is the world that I work in. Um, Not just our church here, but I have pastors and friends all across the world who preach and pastor their local churches. And there is this temptation that every time that we gather, we're supposed to say good news. And I'm not saying that the message of Jesus is not good news, but it's almost as if we are tempted to believe a lie that says, I've got to be happy all the time. And so I'm going to open up the book of Job once again. And there might be something that I say today that could be offensive or perhaps even cause you to be challenged. That is my hope. Okay. With that in mind, let us uh, jump into things. Now that we got the serious stuff out of the way, I do want to tell you about a story of something that happened to me this week when my son came home and he was just overwhelmed with stress because of math. How many of you love math in the room? Those of you online, if you love math, let us know. You can jot down your favorite equation. Uh, Speaking of equations, he's had this entire sheet of equations that he had to figure out, and literally he was pained. He was overcome with despair, wondering if he would ever get to bed that night because of the amount of math questions he had to do. And this was one of the math questions. If you look on the screen behind me, The equation is negative m over 15 equals 4. This is 7th grade math. For some of you, you're breaking out in hives. It is okay. He is like, how in the world do you do this? And I said, Micah, how do you get rid of the fraction? He's like, what are you talking about? And I said, you have a negative m over 15 and it equals 4, but how do you get rid of the 15 on the bottom over here? And he's like, I don't know. And I said, I'm here to help. Well, obviously, you want me to show my work, and so I'll do this for you. And as the screen will show, here's the, I said, you've got to get rid of the negative 15 because it's a negative on this side. You've got the 15 at the bottom. If you multiply by negative 15 over here, you have to do the very same thing on this side of the equation. And then you get the answer of M equals negative 60. Just the way things work, because again, if you have negative m over 15 over here, and you multiply by negative 15, you cancel out the two negative 15s, you just have m on this side of the equation mark, and over here, 4 times negative 15 equals 60, just simple math, just things, and his mind was blown, and from this point forward, he could do the rest of the equations on his sheet, and then we came to the most important thing he asked me. He said, when am I ever going to use this and I said to him there's going to be a time I don't know when the last time I did this was when I was in seventh grade math and I'm here right now to do this for you this is what it's about and he's like so I have to wait until I'm as old as you 
to use this? And I said, yes. I tell you that story because I think there are times in life where we take passages of Scripture and we don't know what to do with them. We're like, when in the, when in the world, when in my life am I ever going to use that? Much like negative M over 15 equals 4. When will I use that portion of Scripture that doesn't make sense to me? But my guess is that for some of us, when we open up the book of Job, it says some things that can be challenging. It says some things that perhaps for some of you are like, I feel exactly that way. And if we're not honest with ourselves, we can glance right over Scripture and believe what we're told to believe in culture that says, oh, if you believe in Jesus, oh, if you're a Christian, then you just need to smile and move on because everything's going to work out. The problem with that is some of us have stories. Some of us are connected to people in our life, whether they're in our family, in our neighborhood, or just as a friend where everything hasn't worked out. And you're like, what do I do in that situation? So when we open up the book of Job, I want to go there with you right now. If you remember from last week's lesson, as Nikki pointed out, you can watch it online. I told you a story about hermit crabs. And many of you are like, show me a picture of a hermit crab. Here you go. Here's a picture of a hermit crab. We, I told you a quick story about hermit crabs. As they grow, they need to find new shells. As they get bigger, they need to find bigger shells. And I told you a story of my friend Preston and his daughter, who came home one day where their two hermit crabs were in the same container and one died and one didn't because the one who died thought that it could get out of its shell to go get the bigger shell of the other hermit crab and that hermit crab wasn't having any of it and it killed the other one. This is what happens in life. I'm just kidding. That's just a statement. Um, but sometimes we need to exchange our shells from our past or perhaps from our childhood or perhaps from our youth and begin to consider what it is that God is doing now. No longer saying, I can just bank on what I learned back then. I've got to consider what it is that God's doing now. So the storyline of Job from last week, I'll catch you up quickly. Perhaps it's fuzzy memory for you. Perhaps you're just like, I don't even know where to begin. Well, there is this scene in heaven, if you will, or the control room where God is entertaining his angels. We learn of one called the adversary that says, oh, God, you're good to everybody. But what if you would take everything away? And this adversary, some say Satan, and most Hebrew scholars today would be like, probably not the guy in the pitchfork and the red horns like we believe Satan to be, but probably just this adversarial character to God that says, I'm going to keep you on your toes. I'm going to keep you honest. Now, as I prefaced last week, how do you read Job? Is it actually factual? For some of you, I'm dancing in uncharted territory right now. But more than anything else, it's one of the earliest forms of literature that give us a lens on how to see things. So it's this lens. For instance, I told you the story last week that when you see on the movie screen the scrolling words in a galaxy far, far away, in a land far, far away, we begin to know that it's a little bit of fantasy. This book itself, Job, begins with, in the land of us. So close to Oz. That's what I was going for right there. Sometimes we're like, I don't know if I can take it for fact. But every single one of us have had stories in our lives or movies 
that impact us that this is how we live. In just a matter of time, 80 plus days or so, this thing called Christmas is going to roll around. Make sure you order your gifts today. And um, it, you're going to probably, how many of you love a good Christmas movie? Yeah, there's many of us. We just like, we put it on repeat year after year. You're like, I want this movie, I want this movie, I want this movie. There's this one movie that happens at Christmas time. There's different versions of it, and we can have a debate on which version is best. I don't really care right now, but the version of the, the story is A Christmas Carol. You know this one, right? We've got Ebenezer Scrooge, who is visited by three ghosts. We like the story. Was he really visited by three ghosts? What was the author thinking about? But more than anything else, we hold that story in a lens up as saying, if I'm going to listen to the narrative arc of Christmas Carol, I want to make sure that I don't waste my time. I want to make sure that I live my life with purpose, and I want to make sure that I live it in regard to others and not just myself. Right? That's like the narrative arc and lens at which we look through and watch life. In the same way, we have the book of Job. Everything has gone wrong for Job because God allowed this adversarial character to take away everything from him. God said, you have to spare his life. And so, the adversary then took everything away. His land, his cattle, even his kids. The final report, the final report that Job gets in Job chapter 1 is that all ten of his kids, seven sons and three daughters, have died and he tears his clothes and he exclaims after shaving his head naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will return the Lord gives and the Lord takes away and then Job's wife is in the background and she's saying why don't you just curse God and die get on with it and chapter 2 comes along and the adversary goes to God again and says Ah, he still believes in you, but that's because nothing happened to him personally. And you're like, hold on a second, everything happened to him personally. No, 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 his, his body and his health. And so then calamity comes to Job physically. And he's sitting with sores all over his body, and we're told in the story that he grabs broken pieces of pottery and scrapes his skin for some sense of relief from the pain. This is where we left things off last week. And some of you are like, this is my first time at this church? Where's the good time, right? Like, this is it. But the part that I didn't read for you is what happens next. And I don't have it on the screen. You'll just have to listen to me read this really quickly. But I want to use this to jump to where we're heading in Job chapter 23. When Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zophar, the Namathite, heard about all the troubles that had come upon Job. They set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and to comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud. They tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. And when they sat on the ground with Job, for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. If you've been through pain and suffering of any kind in your life, you know 
the beauty of a good friend. You know a good friend who shows up at just the right time that doesn't have to say a thing that might just clean the dishes, that might just be there in presence if nothing else. This is what his friends came to do. And then it all goes bad. Because over the next few pages, as you read, Job begins to exclaim, because he knows that he has done nothing wrong. He has lived a righteous and blameless life, and he doesn't understand why it is all this has happened to him, why his family has been taken away from him, why he lives physically in such a state, and why. But page after page, it goes between him talking and then one of the three friends that shows up on the scene. And these three friends say to Job really nice things but really bad things. Because they're friends like you know about. You've, you've heard the same kinds of things. It's not unlike um, my friends who a number of years ago, they had, um, their baby boy was born. His name was Christian. And I remember we just celebrated the birth of Christian. I remember being on the side of a lake in South Orange County and I am like swinging Christian in his car seat just to kind of like give him a little bit of soothing so that his dad could have a break from carrying the car seat for a second. And within one month, Christian was gone. He had died. And I remember, much like you, when reality like that happens and no doubt word goes public and out there on Facebook, I remember a friend hopping on Facebook and saying, well, seems like God just needed another angel. And I'm like, oh no. That is not how he works. But we are tempted to believe such things. We are tempted to believe the lie that says if something wrong has gone wrong, then God has obviously caused it. But we learn all the way back in the beginning of when God sets things into motion, he creates things good. And then we also realize pretty quickly, just a few chapters in, that there is also the opportunity for evil. But evil is not a direct result of how God works. So you know pain, you've heard pain, you've sensed pain, you've been with people in pain. And we're tempted to believe these lies. And I'm going to tell you one of the biggest lies that this culture tells you to this day. And I used to believe it myself, but I am on a mission to eradicate this statement from you. It is a huge one. And if you believe this, I want you to stop. It's this concept that we say flippantly. Everything happens for a reason. I mean, you've probably said it yourself. You've probably even gained some comfort because the hope is that we think, like, if something negative is happening in our life, there must be some kind of reason for it. This is where Job's friends are at. They see what's happened to Job, that he's lost everything. Even physically, he's not healthy. And they look at him in this place, and he is scraping the sores from his body, 
And they don't know what to say to him other than, Job, you must have done something to deserve this. And Job is saying, "Uh uh-uh, that's not how it is. I've done nothing. Even on our better moments, we can say such things. I have done nothing to deserve this. But we live in a cause and effect kind of world where we assume that's exactly how God works. That when something negative happens to you, you automatically attribute it to, I must have done something. Uh, There's some kind of reason for this. Somewhere, somewhere down the line, I'm going to find out the reason. But that's bad theology. It's not helpful. And it also gives you this image in mind of, well, one day when I get to heaven, if heaven's really the point, and I stood on that soapbox a number of weeks ago, so I'll get off that one right now. Heaven's not really the point. It's the kingdom. But if one day I get to heaven, if I give this moment where I've passed the pearly gates, whatever images that you need, I'm walking down the streets of gold and there's mansions all around me, these things, these images that we talk about, we have this assumption if we believe that everything happens for a reason, that God's going to call us in for a parent-teacher conference, a God-person conference, and he's going to reveal the answers on why you suffered. That's what we think. Maybe it's just me, but that's what I used to think. I used to think that one day when I get to heaven, I'll get all the answers. But even that, we don't get any sense from Scripture. We have no sense from how when Jesus walked the earth, that he's telling people, when you're going through trouble, just wait till you get there and God will tell you why. That's not it. So if that's not how it is, then what do we do? Because we're tempted to believe much the same as all of Job's friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. I know, they sound like they're part of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. (laughs) And then we get to Job chapter 23, which is where we will read today. We will read 11 verses We will read verses 1 through 9, and we will jump down to verses 16 and 17. This is how Job responds. He says, then Job replied, even today my complaint is bitter. His hand is heavy in spite of my groaning, speaking of God. If only I knew where to find him. If only I could go to his dwelling." I would state my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would find out what he would answer me and consider what he would say to me. Would he vigorously oppose me? No. He would not press any charges against me. There the upright can establish their innocence before him. And there I would be delivered forever from my judge. But if I go to the east, he is not there. If I go to the west, I do not find him. When he is at work in the north, I do not see him. When he turns to the south, I catch no glimpse of him. I'm hopping down to verse 16. God has made my heart faint. The Almighty has terrified me, yet I am not silenced by the darkness, by the thick darkness that covers my face. This is guttural language 
from a man who has lost everything. Could you imagine sitting with a person who had just lost 10 of their kids who is now facing even physical unhealth? What do you say? I told you the story last week of my friend who texted me almost two weeks ago and just said, would you pray for my mother-in-law? And as I even began to pray when I got on the phone with her and then I would keep tabs with her over the next few days, and then last Monday, I got a report that her mother-in-law had passed. And this happens over text message. What do you say? You cannot go into quick, easy statements that we think make a difference, but they really don't. Things like were said to my friends years and years ago, oh, it looks like God just needed another angel. That helps no one. What do you say? And so I said to her, I said, I am, I am speechless. I am so sorry. I am praying that God would be present with you. I don't know what to say at times, and I'm supposed to be the guy who shows up with words. And I read pages of scripture like this that we so quickly read over, and we don't know what to do with them. And But Job here is exclaiming, I don't care what my friends have said. I don't care the arguments that you are using. If I could just find God, then he would proclaim that I have done nothing. And he says, I go to the east, I go to the west, I go to the north, and I go to the south. And if you get your compass out even today on your phone, which I did this morning because I wanted to verify what I would say to you, that's north. Now, that's east, excuse me. Whew, got it wrong. That's east. And so for a Hebrew person, east was everything. This is where the sun came up in the morning. He's like, if I go to the east, I don't see him. And if I retreat to the west, this direction, I can't find him either. But if I turn to the north, which is what we always assume is where we're supposed to go, he's not there. And if I turn to the south, which for so many Hebrews, this is where God showed up in the south region. This is where he came from the mountain to meet, meet Moses. This is where he met so many of his prophets, is into the south. And he's not even there. And Job's like, if I could just get to him, he would proclaim me righteous. You can imagine being one of the friends. You're like, you're crazy. You have lost it. You've done something wrong. Something somewhere in your life, something went wrong for you to go through all of this. But Job's like, no, I have done nothing. And the, the story will continue, and we're going to open up the pages of Job over the next few weeks here at Refuge. And I encourage you to read it. You will be frustrated with the friend's words as well as I have been. But we know the words of the friends because we're tempted to believe some of the lies that say either everything happens for a reason there's another, there's another lie that's out there. And I want to challenge you in this one if I can. This is the next lie that we believe. That if I'm going through suffering now, then God will owe me at another, another time. It's as if, well, I'm just banking my deficits so that one day he's going to, as if we can put God on the hook, right? As if, we're the one who's been having to pay the bill, and one day he's going to reimburse us. But between the lie of everything happens for a reason and the lie of, 
I'm going to become so narcissistic right now and believe that because I'm going through this pain, God's going to owe me. We figure out that God owes nothing to anybody. So why in the world would we believe? And again, as I told you, this book of Job is more than just an Old Testament story that we're supposed to read because we're on a Bible reading plan. It's a lens for which we see how God works. And I told you last week that there are scholars out there that say this is the oldest piece of Scripture that we have in our Bibles. It precedes the early books of Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus. And I wonder if the first piece of Scripture was a storyline that needed to be told to remind God's people over and over again is that in the midst of the things that you are facing, in the midst of the pain that this world brings, God is present. I don't always know how he works. He is frustrating to me as well. And I wish he would listen to some of the things that I pray for. Not just for me, like a lot of the times I'm praying for other people. I'm not even just focusing them on myself. I wish he would heal that person. I wish he would do that thing. I wish he would provide that breakthrough. I wish he would fix it all. I don't always understand. But we put God on hook and say, unless he does those things, then he's not God. And that's really a bad place to be as well, as if we're the ones who give him his power. That is not true. He will owe nothing to anyone. And he does not need us to be God. It's not unlike when I deal with my kids at times that they don't understand why certain things happen. And we go back to this why question, which is the problem of evil. If you want to look that one up, if you want to Google that one, there's lots of books out there. How do we deal with this thing called the problem of evil? Why is it that a good God would allow things like this to happen? Well, it's because a good God created the world and actually gave freedom and sovereignty to his people. So we make choices. Sometimes things happen to us because of choices that we've made. And some of you in here, if we were to be honest, we were sitting around coffee, you could tell me some of the stories of things that you've done that would be a good coffee. But for some of us, we also have these moments in our lives that we, like, I don't even know why this is happening. And when the why questions comes into play, we often put God on the hook again. Not unlike my kids. Why did this happen? I have a child in my home that loves that three-letter word called why. Some of you I would like to give this child to for some time. Not all the time. She's great. There you go. I gave out the gender. You can figure out. You can weed this one down. Um, she's always asking why. And I'm trying to be better as dad and not get mad and frustrated and say things like, well, because I said so. I mean, I heard that one when I was a kid. But it's true. Well, because I said so. I mean, what, what's wrong with that one? You don't really know what's going on. You don't have the reasoning of your mother and I on all the decisions that we make as a family. But why? When are we going to be there? Why haven't we gotten there yet? All these questions that cause us concern. But in a big amplified way, when we experience pain, we are wondering, God, where are you? We want to put him on trial. This is Job. He's trying to find God to put God on trial. 
I get the image in my mind, and I know it's limited, and I mentioned Christmas stories, but some of you love this movie called Elf. Do you remember the moment where he's trying to get in the building to get to his dad? I know it's a far stretch of an imagery right now, but that is much like it is for Job. He's trying to find God. He can't go to the east and find God. He can't go to the west. He can't go to the north. He can't go to the south if he could just find God and put him on trial. Some of us are also afraid of yelling and getting mad at God as if God is concerned about us ruffling his feathers. I have a pastor friend who told me of someone in his crowd recently who was going through something really, really tough. And my friend said, "Uh, when's the last time you yelled at God? And this friend was like, am I allowed to do that? And you're like, I think so. And if you read some Hebrew, we don't even know what it says, but it sounds like cuss words at times. It seems like David's getting really mad at God in the book of Psalms. Sounds like there were people out there who were really good at getting frustrated with God. When's the last time you got mad at God? Or have you also bought into a lie that says, I got to smile all the time. I've got to put on a good face. I got I to gotta make sure that I don't make him mad. Some of you are going through something that you probably need to go on a walk and let them have it. What do you do when bad things happen? What is it that you say? There is no quick, easy, trite answer that we can give that just says, oh, it's going to be easy from now on. And I don't understand it. I don't understand it. Some suffer for years And it seems others don't. And you're like, how does that even work? And again, we think one day if I get to heaven, I'll be able to ask, why is it that my friend over here had all of this? Why is it that this person got to do that? And we assume God's going to take us in the back and say like, oh, well, here's the reason why. But I don't feel like when I get to eternity, I'm going to be so concerned with such things. But I'm concerned with things now. I'm concerned with text messages that I get, like this one from another friend who's really just really going through it with his daughter. And he wrote a really long text, and I didn't put it up on the screen. You're just going to have to listen to what I say. He says, fatherhood never stops teaching me how far the love of God bends to meet me. Emptying even his need to control the stories we tell ourselves about him. Bearing all our false beliefs, both held and shared on his behalf, yet God still meets us with love and open arms, longing to reveal the truth about his character and his heart. Bearing our misperceptions about him truly is a costly gift. It hurts like hell when your kids don't believe your heart for them is good. It's so heavy. He continued, because I told you it's a long text. When I was young, I held beliefs about God that I now find abhorrent. I not only believed these things, but I felt the need to tell my friends about that God, and yet God met me and embraced me and loved me even though I didn't really know him. I chose an angry version of God, but he wasn't one. 
He stays there right on our heels for when we turn our attention to him. I'm not good at this, my friend continues. My heart aches, and I become resentful at the narrative my daughter tells herself about me, even if some of the narrative details are accurate. I want my best intentions to be understood in their best possible light, even if my behavior and words don't support that. I fight to stay present and available, knowing I'm not really known. The same is true for God. That's it. That's what we feel. Those of you who have had kids and they make stupid decisions, and you try to express what your love for them looks like and they don't get it, and you wonder, will they ever get it? This is exactly what God goes through every single day. But he does it with us. And for some of us, we're still in the hermit crab of our youth, and we have not graduated to new versions of a hermit crab to grow our spiritual life. We're worried these days about how do I get the bigger house? How do I get the better car? How do I get the better job, the better 401k, etc.? And God's saying, where are you growing spiritually? And I am, I 100% believe in miraculous healing. God brings it. God does it. I've seen it. I've got stories. I've got moments where we've come to altars like this and we've prayed for people and things happen. But the altar time, the prayer time, is not where our character is formed And it's almost as if our character gets formed through the really hard times. Some of you have gone through things that you don't care to share because it's been so painfully hard. And as you look back on them, you think, I am a better person because I have walked through that. I never want to go there again, though. Can I get an amen? We never want to revisit the places of the pain of our past. But it is what God can use. He did not send it. He is not doling it out because you chose not to go to church last week. I'm not looking either. That's not how he works. Just as if I had to say to those people on Facebook and I said nothing when I was so utterly angry. That flippant Christianity on Facebook that says things like, oh, it looks like God just needed another angel. And you're like, you don't even know who God is. That is not how he works. So what do you do when you sit with your friends and everything's going wrong? Sometimes you just need friends that are going to sit with you and say nothing. And if you are surrounded by friends that are saying all the wrong things, I want you to find new friends. Or perhaps... For a season, find ones that will sit with you. Because we're all old enough to agree that this thing called life is hard. There are no qualms about that. Every single one of us has a story of some kind, whether it's ours or a friend. But what do you do? And I don't want to ever be caught saying, 
well, just believe in God and everything will be fine. I want you to believe in God. And sometimes it's our belief in God that will steal us through the times of hell. But what God is trying to get across to Job and even to Job's friends more than anything else, and perhaps I'm here to say this to you, is that in the midst of the pain, in the midst of what you've gone through, God has not left you. We associate God's presence with feelings, as if I can feel his presence and perhaps there's goosebumps that come. That's not how the Hebrew people did it. For the Hebrew people, when they would exclaim things like, why have you left me? Where have you gone? The funny thing is, is God never went anywhere. For them, it was always, God, you're not acting. So it feels like you're far away. And it is no surprise that today in the lectionary readings here at Refuge and all across the world, the Old Testament psalm reading is Psalm 22, where it is quoted by Jesus so many years later on the cross. And he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So I know this. I know this about God. Regardless of what I am going through, regardless of what it is the people in my life are going through, we know a God who also knows suffering because his son did it as well. If he says from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We can rest assured, we can let God have it and then be open to be aware of God's presence yet again. Would you pray with me? Lord, as we are sitting and sitting in the midst of the heaviness of a passage of Scripture like this, we do not want to be caught guilty of going by it too quickly. May we hunker down into this space and allow your presence to meet us where we're at. There are some in this room that they have not heard your voice in a very long time. There are some here who are going through hell right now, whether they are willing to admit it or not. There are those who are suffering in great ways, and we find ourselves at a loss of what to say in moments like this. May we never fall victim to the easy words of the world that say everything happens for a reason or we're going through this because you're going to owe us something on the backside. But God, in the midst of a heaviness of life, may we be reminded that you are here. And would you meet us again? space to worship over these next few minutes. I am not oblivious to the fact that this is heavy. Sometimes you need to sing and sometimes you need to be sung over. And so I want you to do that with our worship team. Unless you come, will you meet me here? 
I said earlier, for some of you, you just need that song on repeat. Maybe you need to go find it on whatever listening device or medium that you use. May you be awakened to the fact that God is here in this place. I mentioned to you uh, that, that beautiful Christmas movie called A Christmas Carol. There's another Dickens novel that begins with, it was the best of times and it was the worst of times. 
That might be your story. Maybe you're in between right now. Maybe you're like, everything's great and nothing's going wrong. What a downer of a day, Brent. But some of you are going through it. And if you aren't, you probably know someone who is. And so we want to continue to give you space. We're going to be officially done, mainly so our kids and youth team don't get mad at us. Um, but if you need to, you are welcome to leave and, and collect your kids, even get more coffee and donuts if we have any. Um, but if you would like prayer of any kind, I'm going to hang down here even with my wife, um, as well as Pastor Nikki or even other members of our, our team would be available. Uh, if you want prayer, I would love to hang out for any reason. But today, may you go forth from here knowing that life is hard and it is not always what we expect. But God is in this place and he is here. So peace be with you. Have a wonderful week. See you next Sunday at Refuge. Thank you for joining us this week. We believe in community and would love to connect with you. If you have any questions or would like to speak to a pastor, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram at Refuge Church OC. We hope to see you again soon.